0: of you that are just joining us, this is the fourth Sunday that we have been on a series out of the book of Joshua. And the title of the series is Possessing Your Promise. I believe with all of my heart that God has something for your life that's greater than what you have experienced yet. I believe that there are promises that He wants to lead you in and ways that He wants to use you that are beyond what you can dream because if you can live your life right now without His help, then you are not living in the promise of God because He wants to lead you in ways where if you don't depend on Him, you will absolutely fail. Whenever God lays a dream and a promise upon your heart, it will only be fulfilled through His strength at work within you. You can do nothing without Him, but you can do everything through Christ who strengthens you. And today I want to talk about submitting to his plan, submitting to his plan. And I want to start with a verse that's not our text verse, but I want to start with it because it becomes the template for everything that we're going to talk about today, and it's one that some of you will be familiar with in Hebrews eleven six. 6. And it simply says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, would you say that word with me? Impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we understand as we're pursuing the promise of God that it's going to require of us a faith that we will have to put into effect that without it we can't please God. In other words, unless you're pursuing his promise for your life, you're not pleasing him. Because he wants to lead you in areas where you can't Do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. Father, as we prepare ourselves for the word over these next few moments, I ask that there would be an evidence of your Holy Spirit through an anointing. Father, they didn't come to hear my words today. They've come to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. And so I ask that you would take my words and season them with the sweet honey of your presence So that what we partake of today has spiritual significance to us and not just a waste of time. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that may have missed the first three messages in this series, you can go to our church website and click on the media icon and you can listen to them so that it will help you at least bring you up to date on where we are at But I want you to know that in the passage of Scripture, we are at a place now where there are two million Hebrews that are about to enter into the promised land. But as they were going to be successful in this, it was going to require a faith that God's plan was going to work even when they couldn't see it yet. And they had to have a confidence to follow new leadership. They were used to Moses. They trusted Moses. Moses had died. Joshua was stepping out of the shadow of that. And for those of you that remember, we talked about what it's like to step out of the shadow of your past so that you can step into the plans that God is preparing for you. And we come to what will be a text for us this morning in Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And it says this, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people, Get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. I want you to picture this. For those of you that know me, I've often told you that I have to read something in Scripture, then I picture it, and as I picture it, it helps me to learn. There may be others of you that are learners like I am, but I'm picturing two million people that had been in the wilderness for a long time. The word comes through that they're about to enter in. They've got just a few days to get things ready, and they're looking at a brand new leader who they do not know. And it's possible that some of the officers of the land did not fully trust Joshua yet. In fact, it could have been possible that as they looked at Joshua, they thought to themselves, this is not the leader that I would have chosen had I been God. In fact, this is not the man that I would have even had in the final ballot if I were God. How can this possibly be? Perhaps there were other people among those that they liked and respected or perhaps had a greater uh, reverence for their spiritual leadership than they did Joshua. And I'm sure there were some that looked at Joshua and, and on the outside saw him and said, this does not look like the man who is going to lead us under the direction of God, into the things that he has for us, because he just doesn't look like a leader. But if the Old Testament and the New Testament show us anything, it's that God's people throughout history can be pretty critical of leaders over some pretty petty things. There are a lot of things that we look at through our own eyes that don't make sense to us, And so we begin to question God because in our eyes, it doesn't look very good. Whatever objections that the leaders that he had there had about him, the Scripture indicates to us that God began to settle it in their heart and that they came to a place where they understood whether he looks like a leader or not, whether he acts like the leader we would want or not, God's hand is obviously upon Joshua, and we need to listen to what he has to say. Because by verses 16 through 18 of chapter 1, they say this. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you make command of them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. I love that last line. Because in it, you have a group of commanders who are around Joshua who are looking at him and saying, We know that God's hand's upon you. We might not have selected you, but if God has selected you, then we want to be with you. But here's what we ask of you we know as a nation, unless our leader is strong and courageous, we will never get to the promise. Now, there are a lot of ways that we can apply this, but men, I want to apply this to you particularly this morning. You are the leaders of your home. God has placed upon you a spiritual leadership, and you as men need to be strong and courageous in the way that you lead your wives and the way that you lead your children into the promises of God. For those of you who may be single parents, let me tell you this. God plants that responsibility upon you in whatever stage of life that you may find yourself. When he says to you, I will lead you, you know you need to be strong and courageous as you move forward. There is a false notion of submission today within our world and our culture. Many people follow leaders out of fear, follow them out of coercion. This is not leadership, but it's called subjugation. Joshua's followers submitted to him because they understood that to possess God's promise, strategic positions needed to be filled so that there could be an organizational structure to be able to do what God wanted them to do. And the structure always starts with a belief that God is the ultimate authority. It's God who instructed Joshua It's Joshua who, in turn, instructed the commanding officers. It was them who then went and commanded the tribal leaders. It was they who turned and managed the households. And it was the households that then managed and supervised the children. There was an organizational structure that had to be submitted to in order for the children of Israel to possess what God had brought into their life as their promise. There was a rightly ordained, delegated authority that God had given them. This is biblical. It is orderly. It is divine submission. And Israel, the scripture said to us, submitted to that authority so that they could position themselves properly to enter into what God had for them. Yet in our culture today, in our world right outside these doors, people resist divine order. In fact, they resist submitting to anybody or anything. It's the nature of man to not want somebody to tell them what to do. And yet we understand from Scripture that until we learn to submit in those ways, we are unteachable. We see in our nation right now the subjugation of leadership, dictatorship, domination, and these are all hateful words that get people to disregard order. We see right now there's a hate of authority within our nation. People saying, I will not give in to those who have authority to tell me what to do. And as a result of that, we're living in lawlessness and a disintegration of order takes place. And in the church, if that happens, God's never allowed to lead his people where they need to go. True submission is not about enslaving others. Neither is it the surrender of personal responsibility to just do whatever you're told regardless of the consequences. Godly submission is acknowledging the authority of God and that He has divine authorities that He puts in place so that He can lead His people in an orderly fashion to the things that He has for them, and it's called spiritual organization. Now, within the bulletin, I have three points that I want to make about submission today. The first one is this. Submitting requires placement. As you look at the story in Scripture... God's people had just prevailed over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, to put that in perspective, our country is a little over 200 years old. It's all we know. That seems like a lot of history to us until you go to Europe and then you begin to see our country is just a baby in comparison. Now, we think America is an old country based on things, but the people of Israel have been in slavery for 400 years before they... We're allowed to be led out of Egypt. And then the last 40 years, they have been living in a desert, wandering in the wilderness. It's likely that during this time, each and every day, somebody in that millions of people would say, Boy, I can't wait to see the promises of God fulfilled in our life. Boy, I can't wait till this wandering is over and we're allowed to go into the promised land. We know that many who have come out of slavery had rejected God's faith. There were those that had come out of Egypt that were so bitter to the authority of God and so bitter to the the placement that God wanted them that because of their disbelief, because of their lack of faith, they were not allowed to enter into the promises of God. Let me tell you something. This worries me because it tells me clearly that each of us have the ability to do away with the plans that God has for you because you don't believe they're going to happen. You have the ability to stay in a wilderness situation by simply not saying in faith, I will follow and obey God and I will believe even when I don't see it with my natural eyes yet. And there are people that live their whole lives without the joy of knowing God is leading them because they resist His leadership within their life. A new generation had grown up in the wilderness who were brought to the edge of the promise. They could see the land. They could see what God was leading them to just on the other side of the river. But between them and the promise stood an overflowing, extremely fast-moving river that stood as a barrier between what God said would be theirs by His promise and the life that they had lived in the past without promise. And when God told them that it was going to be time to move, I'm sure they thought in their mind, how are we going to do this? How are we going to move? But God had a way for it to be done in an orderly fashion. Joshua chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, it states this, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. In other words, how many of you have ever ever felt the Lord telling you that you were going to do something, but you had no idea how to get there? God has a way of doing this in our life stirs up a promise, a sense that he's about to lead us and embark on a journey, on on an adventure spiritually, but it's like driving a car at night. Until you begin to move, the headlights don't go anywhere. And he begins to say to you, now, when I say to move, I need you to go because I know where I'm going. I will lead you. You're going to have to depend on me, and by faith, I will get you to the promise of what I want to provide for you. So imagine standing on a hillside, Two million people camped out. I don't know. I I can imagine the smell of that for some reason. And they're standing there on the hillside, and they're overlooking this Jordan River. It's at flood stage. They know the promised land's just on the other side of it. They have no idea how they're going to get there. And then the leader of your tribe comes and tells you this. All right, I know that we've been wandering for 40 40 years. You've got three days to get ready. Three days, and it's going to happen. You must be ready to move out in three days. And here's how you're going to know when it's time to go. The priests are going to walk out carrying the Ark of the Covenant. You give them at least a half-mile distance, and you follow them. And when they go, you go. When they move, you move because God's going to do something. You've got three days to prepare. Now, they're told to stand about a half-mile back, which I really think is funny because I'm thinking only the first day, People in that group got to stand a half mile back. When there are millions of you, you're way back in the line. In fact, I know what it's like trying to get out of the dome when there's 36,000 people at a game and you're in the parking lot forever trying to get out. And yet there are millions of people standing there that God had already put in the right placement so that they could do this. So the first thing that the Hebrews had to do was submit to the placement of God under His direction and the priests who were leading them in order to see an amazing miracle. Perhaps for you today, that's the key to seeing the miraculous in your life. How much do you value submission and proper placement as important dynamics of faith in your Christian walk? Are you submitting or are you rebelling against those that God has placed in authority over you? Now, I recognize today and talking to a group like this, that there are some of you that are here today that have come out of places where you have been spiritually abused by leadership. There were those that, rather than leading in a godly way, led in such ways that has harmed you, and your ability to trust has been bruised and injured, and so you stand and keep everybody at arm's length. And any church that you may attend, you, you hold the leadership at arm's length, and it's almost like... You prove to me before I will listen to anything you say. And I want you to know something. God's going to have to heal that within you in order to bring you to a place of trust. However, having said that, if you are in a place where the leadership is not living according to Scripture, then you need to flee and get to some place that's healthy so that you can trust the leadership. Because past abuse is no excuse for present disobedience. You need God's healing so that you can trust And be properly placed where the Lord needs you to be to move his church forward. So true submission is a divine sign of faith working in you just as it worked through Joshua and the children of Israel. Jesus has made it clear to us that submission is strategically linked to faith. The greater the level of submission that we have, the greater level of faith that we are able to exhibit in our Lord. And I pray that you search your heart today and that you come to a place of full surrender to God by realizing that your relationship with authorities in your life is a mirror of your relationship to Jesus Christ. Here's the way that looks. Your vertical relationship is always displayed through your horizontal relationships with people. People will determine what kind of relationship you have with God by the kind of relationship that you have with people, whether they are under your authority or whether they are over you in authority. Because God understands that the way that we submit to those who are in authority over us proves that he's able to implement his plan in our life. And if you can't submit to somebody you see, how are you going to submit to somebody you can't see? So how is your relationship with these authorities in your life today? How's your relationship to God? Do you tell him what you want him to do? Or do you open up and let him direct you? How is your relationship with the word of God that when you read it and the Ramus word of the Lord speaks to you for direction? Do you obey that or you resist it? How is your relationship with your conscience? How is your relations, relationship with The civil aspect of authority that God places us in here with the government and judges and the police and school teachers or maybe even closer to home. How is your relationship with your parents? How's your relationship with your spouse? How's your relationship with your employer? Because each of these become a mirror of what God can do in your life. If you've been resisting one or more of these authority figures then you need to be able to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to respond in a proper way so that I can learn to submit so that I can be qualified for the promises that you want to bring in my life. Secondly, submitting requires preparation. God's design for you is to have the possibility of a life that you have never yet experienced. And in the face of this opportunity, Know that it's going to happen within a specific time frame and that it's going to require preparation on your part of your resources so that you will be ready to move when it's time to move. Imagine again this picture. Millions of people are camped out in the wilderness. Forty years they've been out there with nothing happening. How many of you think that there were days they doubted they would ever see the promise? How many of you feel God has laid a promise on your heart and after two weeks we start thinking, maybe I missed it? Sometimes patience is required and preparation is required in order for us to see what God is doing. And so in the text that we read this morning, it says Joshua ordered the officers to go through the camp and tell people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan and you're going to cross it right here and take possession of the land the Lord has given you. Now, I believe one of the reasons that he said you're going to cross it right here is because that was the part of the river they could see that looked the most impossible to get across. They're standing there looking over from the hillside and they have nothing but doubt in their heart. That, there's no way we're going to cross that. You know, where's the boats? They didn't even know what a, a boat with an engine looked like. Where's the bridge? How are we going to do that? And yet the Lord says, right here is where you're going to cross. Sometimes he takes you to the exact place of your doubt to prove his power. He had a specific time. He said, three days. You've got three days to get yourself ready for what we're about to do. And then when it's time to move, you better be ready to move. Now, I hate to ask this question, so I'm going to ask without having anybody raise their hand, but how many of you are habitually late? I see hands anyway. No pointing. (laughs) I would not have wanted to be late on the third day. When everybody else has prepared their food, rolled their tent up, they know they're breaking camp, something big is going to happen today, and if you're one of those you know what, I told you to do that, (laughs) and your tent is still up and your food is unpacked. They knew they had a certain time of preparation to get ready. And when that time was over, that time was over and the people were moving. Here's how this applies to us. We need to understand that we are living in a time when God is wanting to prepare us spiritually for what is coming. I have found it interesting that when there is panic, when there is uncertainty... When there is emergency in our life, we show up to pray. When things are going pretty good, when we tell the Lord, you can take the day off, I got this covered. Other things take precedence over preparation spiritually. That's just the nature of man until we begin to submit ourselves to the Lord. I think very clearly today the Lord is telling us that we as a church... Need to be in preparation because something is going to happen that we had better be ready for. There is a specific time frame that we have got to prepare ourselves spiritually, to prepare ourselves in the Word to our, prepare ourselves in submission to Him because in a few days, in a few weeks, in a few hours, the, the word is going to come. It's time to move, and those who have been prepared are ready to go and follow in obedience. And if you've not been prepared, you'll miss out on the promise. It's entirely up to you. So submission to preparation is very, very important Preparation time, the scripture indicates to us, is never wasted time. When you come and you pray and you're seeking the Lord and and you're wondering what's going on, it's not wasted time. God's doing something in you and through you in that preparation time to get you ready for when the Ark of the Covenant begins to move out and it's time to start marching into the impossible. So what do you need to do today in your spiritual life or in your financial life? or in your personal life, to be able to submit to his will when he says, it's time to inherit the promise. What do you need to do? And I pray the Lord will give you directions. And thirdly, we have to submit, and it requires patience. I also want you to write this on on the side. I went back and forth because not only patience, but partnership. And I think that this point covers both. It requires patience, and it requires partnership. There are times when God will ask you to help others in their spiritual conquest even though you've already taken possession of yours or even though you're already living in the blessing of the Lord. In this instance, the tribes of Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh had already entered into their new land because their land that was being given to them was not on the other side of the Jordan. It was on the east side. So they were already living there and were beginning to take possession of the promise that was to belong to them. But God told Moses, and then through that, Joshua to, told them, before you start fully enjoying this promise, you're going to have to help your brothers cross the river to help them possess their promise. And in Joshua chapter 1, verses 12 and 15, it said, But to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half the tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives and children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all of your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, if you were the Reubenites or the Gadites or the half the Manassehites, and you were already living in your promise, you might begin to think, that's not fair. Why should I, who have had to live out in this wilderness all this time, have to help them cross the river when my promise is right here? It seems to me that I will be just fine if I stay here and I'll let them handle the the river themselves. And maybe there were those that murmured and complained about the effort that they were going to have to put forward on behalf of their brothers. And maybe we likewise inherit that attitude of why should I care about everybody else? But The scripture tells us in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the original scripture here means to when it says to bear one another's burdens literally means to help others with their overload. Help others with their overload. Now, Some of you are living in the middle of blessing right now. Some of you, things are going well. You've got a good job. You enjoy what you're doing. You're feeling fulfilled in the Lord. You're just living in a time where the prayers that you prayed have been answered. And you are living in the promise right now. And you are enjoying it. Some of you are living in the blessings of of being obedient to God for great lengths of time. And as a result of that obedience, you're living in the blessing of the Lord. But along with that blessing comes an understanding that as long as we are on this side of heaven, there is a responsibility that each of us have not only to be patient, but also to partner with those who are still working to possess the promise that God has given to them. Now, here's where the issue comes in. What do we do when the Lord begins to impress upon our heart that we need to help people who are not living a responsible life? I've told you before, I, I have a wall of cynicism that it can grow really, really quick. I remember a time when my daughter was wanting to hand out a box of granola bars to somebody who was standing there on the side of the road with a sign saying, I'm hungry, we'll work for food, and she hands him a granola bar, and the guy throws it back in and says, I don't have teeth good enough to eat that, you got anything better, you know, and kind of throws it back, and you're going, whoop, the wall starts to grow. What do we do when... Those who may come alongside of us are those that they would say, you know what, I lie and I cheat and I don't tithe, I don't pray, I don't seek God, but I go to your church and I want somebody to help me. Pastor Jeff has dealt with an individual past several months who had came one time and sat there and they had a, quite a lengthy talk of a couple of hours. And, and at the end of that conversation, as Pastor Jeff was sharing with them about the difference Christ could make in their life he finally got to the point where he began to indicate what his needs were and said, now, can you help me? Can you help me? And after helping, we discovered that we wouldn't see him again for a while until there was help needed again. And then he would sit down and he'd listen and he'd say, yes, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to do these things, and, and never shows up again and then recently comes and has a great big need that he says, I, you know, I know I can count on you. And we're saying, but where's the follow-up of what you were going to be doing with the Lord in all of this? And suddenly there's cursings that come out and telling us how bad we were as Christians because he was living an irresponsible life and he had no desire for the things of God, just wanted the blessings. And in the middle of that, our wall of hesitation grows. And God has had to remind me, and maybe he's done the same with you, that it's a small percentage of people that causes me to be wary of helping others who truly are pursuing God with a righteous heart. I am privileged in my call to not only be the pastor of this church, but by virtue of an office that I've been elected to, I also am a mentor to other pastors in our region. And some of the shepherds that I help in ministry do an absolutely excellent job in their respective churches. But there are some that I have questions about. There are some that I question their work ethic. Some that I question their fruit. There's some that I've even questioned their motives. And there's been one or two that I have looked at and I have told them honestly, I question whether or not you even have a call into ministry. Yet I know that in my place, it's not placed there to play God, but I'm there to help God in His kingdom by patiently helping others bear their burdens. And if you think only you have the right to the promise without helping others come along and you state that I don't have the time and I don't have the energy, I don't have the resources, then we have severed the ability of God to have us submit patiently and partnering with others who have a big river in front of them. And it might very well be that you are called to armor yourself up and help them walk across the river you will discover the path to self-fulfillment is the path of self-denial. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. We're going to sing a song that we sang earlier this morning, and then at the end of that, I'm going to conclude with a time for prayer for us. But when it comes to the aspect of submission, I've discovered that oftentimes that's the thing that we hesitate about the most, but I know that God wants to place you I know that God wants to work in you and through you. And I know that God wants you to be patient And while he's working things out. And he wants you to be prepared when he calls and says it's time to move. Would you stand with me as we sing this song?